What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode two of We'll Laugh About This Tomorrow. Hope everybody's feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, Post-Halloween. I hope everybody had a great Halloween. Uh, me and my family had a great Halloween. Went to the, the good old trunk retreat in our little mountain town. And my little three-year-old was Harry Potter. And I'll, I'll pop up a picture of him on the screen. He was like, excuse me. Like, talk to the town at the trick-or-treat. I mean, the Tatchapi News took a picture of him with his brother, and he had a blast. He was doing Patronus charms on everybody with his wand, having a blast. Uh, last week, I dropped the first episode, and it was pretty cool. Like, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of likes, a lot of support, a bunch of people texting me and calling me. Even had a friend that I hadn't talked to in a long time, like, coming forward about his addiction. And, like, in a way, feeling that he could talk to me now because of, of my episode and kind of being on the same level as me. Um, different addiction. His, his was alcohol. And it, it's, it's cool because that's what I wanted. I mean, if one person can come forward or one person feels better because of my episode and my first episode, and that was just the beginning of this treacherous, you know, story or where you know treacherous wrote them on which was really cool to to get back and then i had tons of people you know telling me like hey that's really cool man like crazy stuff like never knew it and then some people were like oh, i wasn't surprised just it wasn't 100 percent sure well now they're sure so i left off right after my second knee surgery which i believe i said was 2016 i was wrong it was like the end of 2015 i was traveling and traveling in the wind industry was was still getting prescription pills at the time from the new doctor or from, from a new doctor and when those ran out i was buying i was i was freaking out every time i had to travel so i would get a hold of some before i would travel like figure out like whatever whoever company i was working for figure out like hey how long am i gonna be gone like oh well well, usually our policy, you know, six weeks gone, one week home, six weeks gone, one week home, so on and so forth. So I would always make sure I had enough medication to last the six weeks before I got home. And it didn't always work that way, of course. There was times, I remember when I was traveling in Oklahoma, uh, I, was, I went through all my pills by the end of the fourth week. And I remember going through withdrawals in Oklahoma and calling in sick and going to some random doctor in Oklahoma and got him to write me a prescription of pain pills. And back then, like I said, like a lot of doctors were still like just writing prescriptions because they didn't know how bad it was or the doctors that did, they would give you low dose prescriptions that weren't as strong, which sucked in my mind. So I'm traveling and I come back to Tatchby. I'm like, I'm sick of traveling now because I have, I have a child at home. I miss the wife. Like I, when, I, when I traveled when I was younger, it was all fun and games. I had no responsibilities back home, so why wouldn't I travel? So I, I'm, I come back home. I'm like trying to figure out a way to stay local or get a local job. And my father-in-law is, is the owner of a, a bar. Hatchby Mountain Pub and Brewery, and they want to get rid of it. They're done. Like it's it's in the red. Like 
I don't know if it's in the red or whatever. It wasn't doing good. So they we come to them we're like, hey, let us let us buy the bar. And they were like, sure, you guys really want it, and blah blah blah. And we're like, yeah, we want to. This gives me an opportunity to do something that's fun, own my own business, and be able to stay home. So we go through the whole process of the other owners being bought out to where it's just me and my father-in-law that are owners. I go get a loan, a capital loan, to take over the business. And when I took over, it was like, I want to say like $4,800 or $5,000 in debt just in bills, just to, the stuff that needed to be paid right away to like be okay in business, like have all the all the the spirits and beer to be able to open and have everything and not have to worry about like, oh, we're out of beer, we're out of beer, we're out of beer. Because when the first first like two weeks that I took over the bar, we were running to Dollar General and Albertsons, wherever place had the cheapest beer and buying 30 cases and all this and all that just to have beer for when the night would come. So in my mind, I'm like, this thing's going to be a cash cow. Everybody drinks. I'm going to have plenty of money to support my addiction and it'll be fun in the process and I'll be, you know, that guy that owns a bar or whatever. So I'm kind of going to go through this fast because it wasn't very a very long, you know, thing. And when I owned the bar, it was literally just partying for me. I didn't, I didn't drink a whole lot. I would drink every now and then because I, after partying so much in my younger years, I never really liked drinking after that just because it was always associated with snorting something <laughs> and so I never I never drink that much like I, if there was a lot of people there like I'd have a drink and hang out but for the most part I would always be watching everything so I'm, I'm supporting I'm, we're making decent money at the bar enough for me to support to buy bills off the street to whoever has them which just continues my addiction and I'm taking them at this point. Just I'm like I'm not getting high. My knee is killing me, and it's letting me function. And there's there's a thing like with with addicts, you don't always have enough money to want to get high. And for me, it was never really about getting high. It was being able to function, to do all the activities, uh, be able to go home and play with my kid without my knee killing me. Being able to go home and do stuff around the house. Be able to go to the bar and work and be able to function and and not feel like crap or not be able to do much because my knee was killing me or feel like crap because I'm going through withdrawal because I need more pills, which was probably 50-50. So we we own the bar. We finally get it where it's kind of like heads barely above water and then all, and then like the, the next month the bills come in and like we have like a slow month and it's one of those things where I didn't know the bar business is like a wave up and down, up and down, up and down. Like one month you'll make 10 grand, the next month you'll make two grand and barely have enough to pay your bills. So we made the decision to immediately try to shop and get rid of the the bar, sell the bar. Let's sell the bar. At least if we leave out of debt, we're good. So we shop it around. There's only one other bar owner in town. So I ended up going to him and he immediately was like, okay, we'll bring me all bring me all your overhead, your expenses, everything you pay for each month, and I'll see what I can do. He ends up buying it, and I believe I made like two two grand, two or three grand off of the deal, 
and it was pretty much him just taking over the bills, paying all the debt. He bought the bar for the license. The license was worth, I think, $23,000 at the time. So he was pretty much paying for the license because that's what you buy when you buy a bar. You're buying the license, the liquor license. As long as you have that liquor license and in that area where the liquor license is, you can run a bar in that area. So that's what you're buying. You're not buying the actual establishment. He ended up keeping that establishment, completely remodeling it, I've, I've only been in there once, and it, he did a pretty cool job at remodeling it. The bar was in the same place, but the decor was way different. So we'll go through that whole phase where it's really quick, probably like a year and a half. And then it's back to, okay, got to get a job, got to go to work. So I end up calling, getting a hold of a company, a wind turbine company, and they're like, well, we only have traveling positions. We don't have any local positions. If one opens up close near you, like we could try to get you on that project. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I mean, I do what I got to do. I got to support my family and support my addiction. <laughs> so I get a job with a traveling company. I end up going to Texas. I was in Texas for maybe two or three months. And then they give me a call and they're like, hey, we got a spot in Mojave that opened up. You can be local. And the spot is for like, at least a whole year so I can be local for a whole year so I'm like sweet send me home they send me home I end up starting at the one of the wind turbine sites in Mojave I'm working there and at this time I when I get back to town I get another doctor a new doctor and I I kind of ask around and and talk to other people that I know take pain medication or get certain medications I'm like hey who's a good doctor to go to and they all tell me this one doctor, like, I'll oh, go to him. He, he don't even care. Like, he'll, he'll write you a script for whatever, and you're good to go. So I end up going to this doctor, and sure enough, he's like, oh, yeah, your knee hurts? Okay, well, here's a script, 120 Nortos for a month. Boom. I'm like, sweet. Now I got a perfect doctor. As long as I can manage myself and make him last a month, I'm good to go. I think that lasted maybe four or five months where I was able to manage it and actually take them as prescribed or take less one day and then only take them when I felt like crap, that kind of thing. And then I ended up having to travel for a couple of weeks. Like they needed me because of my, I had certain experience on a turbine and they needed me to travel to go help this other site. And it was like right towards the end of the month that they needed to send me. So I ended up like kind of like getting all anxiety and freaking out like crap I'm not gonna have enough pills like I need like I need to try to tell them like hey can I wait like seven days I have a doctor's appointment I can't miss blah 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 and they're kind of like oh no like we really need you to go like it's either this or you know to me like I didn't want to be that guy that they couldn't depend on but my addiction came first like I'm not I'm not gonna sit there and argue with them tell them straight up like well sorry I need to get my pain medication or I can't go which probably would have been almost fine in a way because at least it would have been honest and it would have been like, oh, okay. But then I probably would have ended up being looked at and they would have ended up finding a reason to fire me. Like, oh, this guy takes pain medication all the time. He's a liability. So I end up traveling, freaking out. I run out of pills like the first week. End up going to another doctor. The doctor doesn't prescribe me anything. This is around the time where they start cracking down on pain medication. Like, you used to be able to go to an urgent care, tell them, hey, my back hurts, my knee hurts, whatever hurts. And they, and they would go, oh, what kind of pain medication have you took before? Like, oh, I've taken, you know, Tramadol, Vicodin, Norco, whatever. And they'd be like, oh, okay, well, it worked for you. And they'd give you a prescription. But then it's it turned into, slowly turned into, 
oh, well, we don't get prescriptions out uh, the first time you come to the doctor. Like, you'll have to, you know, come a second time, and it has to be within, like, seven days or something like that. I know in Texas that's how it was. And Oklahoma was the same way. They would say, oh, well, you have to come back in seven days for your second appointment, and then they, and then you can actually see the doctor, and he'll prescribe you something if needed. So I remember that not working. I ended up going to a, a ER, and I, I was at the ER. I'm like, oh, my knee's killing me. I'm actually, I'm go- my knee is killing me, but I'm going through withdrawals. That's the main thing that sucks. And they're like, like, oh, okay, well, we can get you some medication. Like, what have you taken before? I'm like, oh, usually I take Norco. I've had Dramadol, but Norco usually works. Of course, I'm going to try to get the stronger thing. And they come back with a little, little like, ketchup, ketchup cup, you know, a little paper cup with one pill in it. And they're like, okay, here you go. And I take it, and I'm like, oh, can the doctor write me a prescription? They're like, oh, no, the ERs don't write prescriptions anymore. And I'm like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. You have to go to an actual, your your primary care physician to actually get a prescription. We don't do it at, no ERs, usually pretty much across the United States, don't do prescriptions anymore. Like, they'll just give you a prescription uh, either for the day or one to last a couple of days. But I had already made the mistake of telling them that I was going home in, a few, in like five days, so I just needed enough to last me. And they took it as like, oh, well, you'll be fine. Get home and see your doctor, which was sucked because that's what they said and so I ended up getting one pill barely takes the edge off the next day at work I end up uh, meeting a new guy that lived locally and he tells me uh, we end up like talking about drugs somehow we got on the conversation about drugs and I like made the comment like oh man I could really go for like a, a Vicodin or Percocet or something like that and he's like oh really he's like how many do you need I can get some and I'm like oh for real so I end up giving this dude money he goes and gets me pills and then the next day at work I have I get pills from this guy and I think I'm there for like another 10 days I end up buying like three times from the guy using my per diem so that way you know no one the wife doesn't know that I'm spending my per diem uh I got the cheapest hotel possible so I'm spending like 150 dollars a week on a hotel some crackhead hotel I end up spending most of my I get bare minimum food like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, bare minimum everything just enough so I can survive while I'm there and then I use the rest of my you know four or five hundred bucks giving this dude to buy pills for the next two weeks I'm there and they're real they were like really cheap so I was getting pills for super cheap and having a crap ton of pills just at my disposal so of course i'm taking them like m&ms because oh i could just buy more i could just buy more no biggie i'll just i'll just take you know three this time before i go to bed instead of instead of one i'll take i'll take three because you know it'll last longer and i'll be able to sleep better that's my mental thought you know but a little bit i know i was taking that many because i wanted to feel good i wanted to feel the euphoria and the high from the pain pills and of course it got rid of my pain so I end up coming back home, getting going back to the local physician, getting back in with my doctor. I'm going like back and forth with the doctor. And then eventually he sends out a letter that's saying he's retiring. And this is like mid-2016 saying that he's retiring. So now I'm like, oh, crap. I either need to find somebody that has 
pain medication readily available all the time that I can buy, or I need to find another doctor that will just prescribe me monthly and make that last. But the crappy thing is, is that when, when you get pills off the street or buy pills and you have this like lump sum of pills, you the more you have, the more you're gonna take. So you get used to taking that many and then you get a prescription and you take them the same way because you just got a lump sum of 120 pills that's supposed to last 30 days and you're taking them the same way because you're used to taking them that way and your body's used to taking them that way. So then you run through your script of 120 pills in 10 days, a little, little over a week. I mean, I remember I'd get 120 pills and they'd be gone in five to seven days they would be gone and then I'd be freaking out trying to find calling people, texting people, hey, can you get pills, hey, can you get pills, hey, can you get pills, and, you know, it was always a 50-50 shot, someone would be like, oh, yeah, I could probably get some, but you have to give me some time, and then the withdrawals would hit, and then you'd start bugging the shit out of them, like, hey, did you find anything, hey, did you find anything, dude, I'm still looking, I'm still looking, it's like, oh, well, like, I'll give you extra if you find some, like, thinking that giving them more money is gonna magically make them find pills, which I did a lot to certain people, which I apologize for, um, so I'm buying off the street all the time. I'm working locally. I'm making good money for working locally. So there's no, like, at this time, I'm pretty sure my wife didn't know, like, how much money I was spending on pills because she essentially let me have a certain amount of my, my paycheck if I worked. I, I would work overtime to support my habit. And she would always, like, just let me, like, oh, yeah, pay the bills and you can have this amount and that's how it always was so she didn't know what I was spending the money on like mm -hmm. I would buy things here and there that would you know, probably make her think like oh he just spent money on that or maybe she did know I'll have to talk to her about it I know she knew in the last two years from present day but back then um, I, I don't think I don't think she knew so I'm working I'm working locally and uh, I'm, I'm fine. Everybody likes me on the site. Like, I'm getting my work done. And I remember running out of pills. And I started going through withdrawals. But I couldn't miss work because they were, like, real strict about attendance there. So you couldn't miss work. So I remember going to work, like, just at the beginning of withdrawals. So I just feel like crap. I'm lethargic. No energy. And we're working on a wind turbine, and I'm like trying to do as little as possible. Like I'm, I'm trying to be the, the, the lazy guy that day. Do as little as possible, and, and just try to make it through the day. I know I could probably find some pills after work. And so, uh, some rat snitch dude that works on site said I was sleeping in the truck, which I wasn't, because you can't sleep if you're going through withdrawals, and that's a fact. And he tells the, the site lead. So I end up getting called in the office, and they talk to me about it. And I'm like, dude, I, I wasn't sleeping. Like, I was filling out a form, a safety data, safety sheet or whatever. And they're like, okay, like, we'll, we'll have to talk with other people and blah, blah, blah. Um, if, if, if something happens, we'll give you a call this weekend. So I remember being at home on Sunday or Saturday and they call me and they're like, yeah, we've made the decision not to allow you back on site. 
And I was like, what's the reasoning? And they're like, oh, well, we have multiple people saying you were sleeping in your truck. And there was like three guys on site that didn't like me just because I simply outshined them because I, I, was, I worked harder than them. So they just hated on me. I took one of the guys' positions as the lead. I ended up becoming the lead over him. So I, I, dare, I know for a fact I was already told by other people that those three guys like went in there together and was like, yeah, he was sleeping in the truck. He was sleeping in the truck. So they called me, they're like, yeah, and I was like, well, that's complete bullshit. I know the, the guys that work for you, the main company, we're the customer. I'm telling this to the actual company we're working for. You can talk to your guys that I work with, and they will tell you that I was not sleeping in the truck. And they did. They called them in. They told them, like, yeah, Nick wasn't sleeping. Like, we never saw him sleeping in the truck. But that guy was so tight with the customer lead that he got them to, like, get rid of this guy, get him off site, get him off site. So I ended up getting kicked off site. So I have to go tell the wife, like, oh, yeah, they kicked me off site because it was bullshit. And it really was bullshit. So I end up having to travel. Like, they're like, okay, well, if you want to keep working, like, we're going to have to send you to another site. So they end up having to send me to Oklahoma, I believe. It was either Oklahoma or, like, right in the panhandle of Texas. I'm pretty sure it was Oklahoma. So they send me to Oklahoma. And I feel like this is one of those times where... I, I was trying to get out of this company, try, trying to get out of the whole travel thing and and doing all that. Like, I needed to be closer to home. Like, I was just over it being away. Not only was I hating being away from my, my kid and my wife, but also it was harder to get pain pills. So it's like a 50-50 thing in my head. Like, I need to be home so I can be close to my family, and I need to be home so I can be close to getting where I can get pain pills. So I end up getting getting hired on with the company, and they're based locally like they're the company is actually based in my town but they're a travel company so i'm like well i know they have contracts in mojave and i know they have contracts in like surrounding areas like not too far from where i live end up getting on with them i travel with them for like the first like two months and then i finally get back in a local position where i live so this is this is where like it's 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 starting to get hard for me to make a secret because I'm not I'm, when I'm traveling I'm getting per diem so I'm getting 700 bucks a week, that's technically like, like my allowance it's extra money so I make my paycheck x amount of dollars and then I would get 700 bucks on top of that for travel money, so that travel money was my addiction money. But being back local when I was with the other company they were still giving me per diem even though I was home, because I had. Whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, they kept paying me per diem, which I wasn't complaining. I wasn't going to say anything about it. But this new company, like, they watched that. You had to be 50 miles away from, you had to be 50 miles away from your residence on your driver's license <coughs> to collect per diem. And they, I had a license that was, my address on my license was six miles from their office. So I'm working for this company. I'm not getting per diem. So I don't have the extra money to buy pain pills. I find another doctor, and this doctor. So this is, this is where I make my like I tell my I tell my wife. So now that I'm back working locally, I tell my wife, I'm like I need to get my knee fixed. Like I'm tired of this pain, and I need to get it fixed. And and mentally, I do want to get off the pain pills because I I need to have them stop controlling my life. 
but I know if I go through surgery again, I'm just going to get more pain pills prescribed to me all the time and go through the whole deal of the knee surgery, but I have to do it. I have to be able to do it at least one more time and actually have my knee fixed by good doctors so that way I can be fine when I have no pain medication. Like I can go through withdrawals, get off the damn thing, and have no knee pain. So I'm working locally. I end up going to an, a new doctor, and she's super awesome. Uh, she ends up getting getting me right away. Like she gives me pain medication, of course, which is feeding my habit. But at the same time, like she's she's trying to be quick about everything because she's not a joke. She doesn't joke around with the pain medication. She gives me pain medication enough to get me past my MRI uh, appointment. So I have my MRI. And then she get like she gave me enough to last. Like, okay, go get your MRI and come back to me if your knee's really jacked up. Then I'll prescribe you something appropriate. Blah blah blah. I get the MRI. I come back, and she's like, "Yep, you have a tear in your meniscus. This is what the it's an orthopedic like building that I went to. Like it's it's like twenty doctors are all orthopedic surgeons, and it's like Southern California Orthopedic Institution." SCOE is what it's called in Bakersfield, California. Go there, get the MRI. I have a T, a T, a T. I have a tear in my meniscus still, which was almost like a relief to me because I'm like, is my knee still torn at this point or is it just not strong enough because I never did physical therapy. So I do have a tear. The tear's worse. Like they're, they're telling me that it's, if they scrape out this tear, I'm going to be very, very close to just being bone on bone on the lateral side of my knee. When I go back to the doctor with the MRI, she's like, yes, I talked to the doctors at SCOE. They said, you have a knee tear. How bad has it hurt you? Of course, they say it's killing me. I can't sleep. I can't do my normal things around the house. This, this, this. So she ends up giving me strong Norcos again. I get Norcos. And she gives me five 325 Norcos. I remember coming back at the end of the month telling her, like, these aren't working. I, I'm still not able to sleep through the night. Like, I need something stronger. So she ends up giving me 10 through 25 Norcos. And at this point, I'm taking them as prescribed. But in the meantime, I find this, this old lady through a friend that has, like, rheumatoid arthritis, like, real bad. And she's selling super-duper strong pain medication for her rheumatoid arthritis and she's selling it super cheap so I'm like I'm like well what is it that she has and my buddy's like oh just go meet with her like she's a cool old lady blah 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 so I go meet with her and she has 30 milligram morphine pills selling them for 10 bucks a piece and I'm like this lady is crazy she does not know what she has those pills go for easily 30 to 40 bucks a piece and she's she's crazy for selling them for ten dollars a pill. So I end up I end up buying some of them off of her for a friend. Just and I'm like, okay, well, I'll buy them all. Like morphine is super strong. Like I'm not gonna take morphine for for knee pain. Like that's that's pretty intense. And and frankly, I was scared to take morphine because morphine is very very strong. So I end up buying them for a friend. 
and he he takes them and he's like dude these things are super strong like i had to break it in half and only take half of it and i'm like yeah i don't i don't think i need those like i will be noticed because morphine is essentially heroin so i'm like you will be no like if i'm taking those consistently they will be noticed by somebody that i am just a walking zombie so I end up being like the middleman for my buddy and he gets addicted to the morphine pills and I'm buying them for him like once a week, twice a week, buying for her all the time. This old lady, super cool, like she's like, she has rheumatoid arthritis, is in pain 24-7 and she's selling half of her prescription because they're so damn strong that she doesn't need to take them every day. Like that's how strong they are. So in the meantime, uh... That's like in the back of my head. Well, if I ever run out, I have this lady that has morphine. So I could always buy morphine. So I'm getting the pain medication from this from this new doctor. I have uh, the new, I have the, new, the the next surgery scheduled. So I'm just buying my time to the schedule. I keep telling myself like if I if I go through with this surgery and I do the physical therapy right and I do everything correct, I can get off these damn pain pills and I'll be and I'll be free of them and I'll be able to live my life. And you have to realize too, when you become addicted to pain pills, every little thing you do takes a pain pill. So like, oh, I'm gonna go work in the garage, pop a pain pill to go do it. Oh, I'm gonna go uh, dirt bike riding with my friends, pop a pain pill to do it whatever like activity hobby i i kind of related to like i chew tobacco so i related to chewing tobacco every time i would throw a dip in to go work on my dirt bikes go work on my car to go organize something in the garage to clean the house i'd throw a dip in that's how it was with pain pills anytime i had to do something pop a pain pill to do it so that's how your hobby always always is. So like I would always think to myself like, well, if I'm off of them, like it's gonna be weird, like going or like going to the movies and taking one to relax and watch the movie, uh, doing stuff around the house, my like everyday chores. Sorry, had some technical difficulties there. So yeah, every time you know, going to a movie to relax, pop a pill. Doing the chores around your house. You're always popping a pill to do it. It's like a hobby. It's it's part of your hobbies. It's part of the little things you have to do in life. Like when you smoke a cigarette or, or, or pop a, a dip into your lip. It's the same thing. So I always thought to myself like it would be weird. Or that's going to be the hardest thing to break. Because I, I associated it with like stop, stop chewing. Or you know habits like that. Of course it's way worse. So... I end up getting the, the knee surgery scheduled. I go through the knee surgery, and it actually happens in Tatchby. So I go through the knee surgery. Everything everything goes well. The, the doctor tells me, like, we were able to scrape most of it out without making your cartilage super low on your lateral side. And I think you're going to heal up fine. You had a lot of scar tissue in there, which was probably probably what the main source of your pain was, was having all that, all the little like floaties of cartilage and, and 
and little pieces of the tear floating. That's what was causing your pain. That's what was causing the, the you know, like cracking in my knee every time it, it moved. So I'm like, sweet, like hopefully this is, you know, done and over with. So I'm still taking the pain medication at this time. And then, boom, COVID-19 hits. So now you got COVID-19, which shuts down. I don't know how many, but it shut down from my place of physical therapy. So I couldn't go to physical therapy. I went to the first initial like uh, assessment appointment, and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do for your knee. This is how we're going to get you back up to 100%. And go from and, and we'll go from there. Like we'll set, we'll assess and see how it goes. And this is at the very beginning of our very end of 2019, where they. Oh my bad, back up. I'm trying to say. So 2019, yeah, 2019 is when I had the surgery. So at the very beginning of 2020, is when like COVID 19 COVID 19 hits around March April. And at this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up for a sec. So when I when I get the knee surgery scheduled, I'm still working for that company locally. And I'm actually having to, and then I end, ended up getting an assistant manager position with the company. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up about eight months, eight months to a year before I have the surgery. So I'm going, I get this job as assistant manager with this new wind company. But the assistant manager position is at a wind turbine site that is three and a half hours north of where I live. So the plan is I drive there Sunday Sunday afternoon. I drive up there. I It's a place that the, the site is on. It's like this like wildlife reserve. And they have this big uh, like modular like trailer there. And the back office, they're like, oh, if you want to stay in there, you can because it's only going to be you and the, the, the site of the manager, the, the manager of the site that just comes in Monday through Friday to work. So, I mean, I go buy a little little bed. Um, I get a little TV. I literally just live there. So, so Sunday afternoon, I drive up there. So I get there Sunday night, put my stuff away, have my PlayStation 4 with me, and I'm essentially living there. So Monday through Friday, I live there. Friday afternoon after work, I drive back home. So I'm home, I'm home Friday night all of Saturday, and then Sunday afternoon, I go back. I'm doing this for approximately a year and a half. All of, end of 2017, all of 28, or 2018, like June, all through 2019 till October. And it starts making me lose my mind, like really lose my mind. I'm up there by myself. The only person I talk to is the site manager. I drive down from site once a day to shower at a truck stop, and the rest of the money I'm saving because they're giving me per diem, and I'm, that's how I'm feeding my addiction. So, and at this point, I'm getting a hundred norcos off off of a a lady I met, and she gets them every two weeks. So every two weeks, I'm I'm spending six seven hundred bucks on on norcos to have them so every so after work each day i'm just by myself and we would only work like four hours a day because the the site was was like old faithful like everything ran and 
you know, it was fine. And for the first three months I was there, the, the, wind, the wind turbine site didn't even have power. So I was just there in like a security uh, position to make sure that nobody came on site and like tore the cables out of the turbines, the copper cables and all that kind of stuff. So at, at this at this point, I'm by myself. I'm lonely all the damn time. I'm literally by myself playing video games, watching movies over and over in this little trailer on this wildlife reserve that's like 10 miles from the closest establishment where people are, which is a truck stop. I go there once a day to shower, and then I drive back up to the site and sit with myself and play video games or watch movies or mess around on my phone. Like, it gets so bad that I'm, I'm so extremely lonely that I'm taking the pills like M&M's and I tell myself there was this one week where the site manager was like, I'm going to be gone for a couple days, so it'll just be you by yourself, like, just watching the site, making sure everything's going. If, you know, turbines fault, we can go turn them back on, but no climbing. And I take that as a chance to, uh, like, it's kind of hard to say this. So I take it as a, I take it as an opportunity to try to kill myself. And I think it was probably one of the dumbest things I've ever attempted to do in my life. I was uh, getting, I was getting other pills from my father of all people that was essentially enabling my addiction because he, he knew that I was addicted, but he, he was getting a prescription for his ailments and just selling me his pills. And I would say I was buying them for someone else, but I wasn't buying them for myself, but he would get, I would buy his, he would get Norcos and he would get Somas, muscle relaxers. So I'd buy the Norcos and then I'd, pretty much give me the somas because nobody ever wants those and so I, I got so lonely one night that I took a handful of somas I remember passing out and I remember waking up and being so groggy and I'm like fuck it didn't work I'm going to take more so I grab another handful of somas and I take them and then I don't remember anything. And I don't know if I took enough to kill myself. I was trying to kill myself. I was trying to take my own life. I don't know if I took enough to do that. I don't know if I was just so knocked out or I had such a high tolerance to pain medication that taking those, taking however many I did, didn't kill me. But that next morning at 9 a.m., my boss, the manager of the site, shows up. He ended up not leaving town. And he says, he's like, yeah, I walked back there, and I saw that you were still asleep. He's like, usually you're, you know, up by then, or you wake up when you hear the door open. And he's like, I just, I went in there, and I screamed your name. I'm like, hey, Nick. Hey, Nick. And then I was like, Nick, like really loud. And he's like, you didn't move. So I was like, whatever, maybe he's sick or something. And then I went to my office, and then I came back, and then that's when I shook you, and you woke up, and you looked—he's like you look like death, like you were just pale white, like you're like you, you're the lights lights were on, but nobody was home, and 
and I was like, hey, like, get up, we got shit to do, and he's like, I was watching you for a minute, and you were just, like, super slow, and, like, didn't know, like, you were grabbing your shoe and looking at it like you didn't know what it was, and, like, putting it on, and all this, all this, so he explains all this to me, and I end up getting my stuff on to go to work, and we walk, we get out to the truck, and we go out to a turbine that we needed to pick, and he stops, and he, and he, and we get to the turbine, and he looks at me, and he goes, dude, are you all right? And I think I was so, I, don't, I honestly don't know what was going on with me to the point where I felt like I needed to take my own life. But I looked at him, and I told him straight up, I was like, I, um, I tried to kill myself last night. And he was like, and at this point, I became friends with the guy because it was only me and him up there, you know, when we worked. And he was like, looked at me like, like, are you fucking serious? And I'm like, yeah, I think I think I attempted to, but I just, I didn't succeed. And he's like, well, fuck, man, like, like, fuck, like, like, do you need to go home? And I'm like, yeah, I, uh, I think I need to get out of here. And he was like, well, are you okay to drive? And I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe, like, I'll wait a few hours or whatever. And and good for him, like, he didn't leave me. So we, we he ended up fixing the tower real quick, and then we got back and went back to the office. And he ended up calling the H HR of the company and was like, hey, I got this guy here. You know, well, they knew me. They are like, I got Nick here, and he tried to kill himself last night, and this and this. And uh, I ended up calling, like, a like a suicide hotline and talking to them and I don't know I don't know what was going on with me I think I was so I was so sick of being addicted to pain pills I was so sick of not being able to be home every night with my family at this point I have two kids and I mean I was distant already because of my addiction in my marriage and then I'm distant even more because I have to be gone Monday through Friday so my kids and my wife don't even see me that much and then when I come home, it's like everything's daddy, daddy, daddy. So I'm having to pop more pain pills to be able to keep up with it. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I honestly couldn't tell you what drove me to say, fuck it, I'm done. And every time I think about it, it, it starts like messing with my emotions. Cause I, I couldn't believe that I, I got to that point that I wanted in my own life. When I looked at the pain bottle, the, the Soma bottle, when I got back to the trailer, there was one pill in it, and it was a script of 25. I took 24 Somas in one night, and I lived to talk about it. I don't know how. I really don't know how. But story continues right suicide is a, is a serious thing there's people that kill themselves every single day over whether it be PTSD maybe it was something that they that I felt where I just felt lonely and, and, and detached from everything and I didn't matter anymore uh, I think the only people that that knew that I tried to do that was my wife and uh, my sister I believe I, I told her talked to her about it I told my dad about it and it was kind of funny when I told my dad about it. He's like, oh, why why'd you do that? And, da, 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 and and then he proceeds to still sell me his pain pills each month after I tried to do that. Uh, 
yeah. Anyways, it's it's not something that's taken lightly. There's always there's always numbers you can call the suicide hotline. I talked to them. I ended up talking to them quite a bit. I ended up getting a therapist and talking and going to a therapist for a little bit. There's always someone something you can do. Your life does matter. I will tell you that firsthand. Your life does matter. It doesn't matter how shitty it is. You still matter. Your life still matters. People still care about you. And I had two kids and a wife, and I thought that I they didn't care about me, and I didn't matter in the world. And I was damn wrong, because I would have devastated them if I succeeded in killing myself. It's it's some people have a tough life and an addiction leads you to weird places and it sucks that it led me to that place but I, I am here today I, I survived to tell the tale and I would never do that again in my life even though I was the person before I did that said that I could never be able to kill myself well I tried and I'm glad that I didn't succeed because where my life is now is a million times better than what it was then and there's always it, there's always light in the future. There's always something that you could grow to get better towards. I'm probably saying a bunch of cliche things right now, but if you ever feel that way, you can talk to somebody. Call me. If you feel that way, call me. Contact me on my on my, on my podcast page, my Instagram, Facebook. I'll talk to you. No problem with that. I think that that's where I'll leave it today. I think maybe we'll get maybe another episode, maybe two more episodes out of this story. It's going to start getting a little bit wilder. I'm sure that that bomb that I just dropped right there is going to shock a lot of people. But life goes on, right? And, you know, we'll laugh about this tomorrow. <laughs>